<laughs> Once again, Sean, Sean answers a food question with disdain and a terrible answer. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McHaver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. It's easy to imagine that Texas simply sprang into being just in time for the Texas Revolution, but it was actually a big piece of another revolution before that. For 13 years, Texas was a territory of Mexico, and the men in charge were often idealistic and flawed. Today is part one of the Mexican governors of Texas. But first, what's your least favorite Dr. Pepper variant? Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Once again, Sean... John answers a food question with disdain and a terrible answer. I, I don't like Dr. Pepper. How can you not? Sorry. I just don't get They're, it. All variants are bad. Is it Coke? No? Okay. Is it Dr. Pepper? Well, it depends on who you ask. I nope. mean, you should. Dr. Pepper's bad enough. Why would I want something that fakes being a Dr. Pepper? <sighs> I, I was just I was just making the point that uh, you ask some people that they're all Cokes. Well, the funny thing is, you know, for something that is so reviled that, that by Sean, there's there's a million knockoffs. There's a uh, Doctor B, and you'll see like you know Mister Mister Fizzy and all kinds of other things. And they've got the sort of maroon, and they follow the scheme, and they they try to copy the formula. But but uh, like that movie, must multiplicity. You know, it's a poor copy. <laughs> now there is one called Doctor Thunder. I got a pee pee. Doctor Thunder is an amazing name, and that's it. It's terrible. <laughs> is that the H-E-B one? Yeah, uh, Doctor, yeah I'm pretty so, sure yeah. that's the H-E-B one. Dr. B is the Walmart one, well, you I see, think. Yeah, you can't even get it outside of a little small towns where there's H-E-Bs. So, yeah. so um, I'm just going to say it. You know, Mr. Pibb is the worst. Um, if you don't have Dr. Pepper, just say you don't have Dr. Pepper when I ask for a Dr. Pepper. Don't ask me if Mr. Pibb is okay because it is not okay. Yeah, it's it's Coke's attempt to do Dr. Pepper, yeah, which makes just, it worse. Why don't you just make Coke? Oh, just stick with Coke. It, Coke I'm, works. I'm just, I'm just talking about etiquette at a restaurant or oh. someone's home. Hey, do you have Dr. Pepper? Just say no. You know, just don't go back. Say, is Mr. Pib okay? Because it's not. I'm always going totally to say no. Drink. Mm. Yeah. Well, just listen, guys. Go back and either go back and watch Hell or High Water, or go back and listen to our episode on it because there's a yeah. great scene all about. Dr. Pepper and Mr. Pibb that totally encapsulates this, spells it all out for you. Drink more Dr. Pepper. Although the time between the Mexican and Texas revolutions was one of turmoil and chaos, the introduction of Anglo settlers might never have occurred if it weren't for the vision of the early governors of the then state of Cohia y Teas. The men who served as governor of the state had varying degrees of sympathy towards the Anglos and varying levels of ideals. Many of them led exciting, Interesting lives both before and after their time in office. Jose Felix Tres Palacios began his public career as a member of the militia in Chihuahua from 1810 to 1814, but he was convicted of organizing a rebellion in the Provincia Internas, which is the internal provinces, and was sentenced to death. The sentence was commuted to 10 years in the Presidio at Cueta, but he escaped while being transported to Mexico City. He joined Sebastian Gonzalez's rebel forces, and in 1816, during a battle with royalist forces, he was once again captured in prison, but once again, he escaped. The Spanish were not very good at keeping their prisoners, I guess. (laughs) Well, it was the frontier, more or less. 
Trust Palacios fled from Texas to New Orleans, where he gathered aid from local merchants and joined Dr. James Long's second filibuster expedition as a nominal commander. He then joined up with Ben Milam's forces to invade the Yucatan. Trust Palacios landed in Campeche, which we know as Galveston, where he declared his uh, support for the plan of Iguala to, uh, for Mexican independence. He was arrested and imprisoned again. This time he didn't have to escape and was released when Mexico finally won its independence and the newly crowned Emperor Augustin de Iturbide freed him. He helped secure the release of Dr. Long and the other members of his expedition, or maybe he was part of a conspiracy that killed Dr. Long. Nobody really knows for sure. Iturbide named him Colonel of Calvary and made him the first governor of Texas under Mexican rule. Trust Palacio served from August 1822 to April 1823. The only item of note during his rule was that Austin's colony was divided into the Colorado and Brazos districts. After his term as governor, he went on to serve as a senator from 1831 to 1833 and held the office of Inspector General and Commander of Chihuahua. He died on August 4, 1835. Well, the next governor was Luciano Garcia, and he first arrived in Texas after he'd been sent there as a Spanish commander by General Joaquin de Arredondo. And this was after the Gutierrez-McGee filibuster expedition way back in 1812, 13, 14, that time period. We talked about that probably in year one of our show. He was tasked with reorganizing the presidential company at La Bahia, or Goliath as we know it. And he was charged with bringing it to its full complement under the existing Spanish regulations of 1772. So this is probably 20, 30 years later. On June 16th, 1823, he was appointed ad interim governor of Texas under the new independent Mexican rule, uh, but he didn't assume duties until July 8th. He only served as governor for three months, and then he relinquished his duties on October 12th, 1823, and he became commandant general of the army in the province of Tejas. In 1824, Garcia was appointed political chief of the province and was friendly to Stephen F. Austin's colony, helping in every way he could. On July 17th of 1824, he added the last piece to the governing system for the colony by appointing the Baron de Bastrop as commissioner to extend land titles. He also called the first elections for Texas representatives to the Constituent Congress of Mexico. He retired from politics sometime in 1826 and was discharged as a lieutenant colonel of the cavalry of Nuevo Santander and dedicated himself to raising livestock. The next governor was Rafael Gonzalez, and he was born in San Fernando de Bejar, not San Antonio though, different one, in 1789. And before the age of 20, he joined the presidential company of Nuestra Señora de Loreta, which is in modern-day Argentina, as a cadet. In October 1810, he was made second Alvarez, which was a high military rank, and two years later became first Alvarez. On June 3, 1814, he was promoted to second lieutenant and assigned to the Presidio in Monclova. Just over a year later, on July 14, 1815, he was promoted to first lieutenant of the Royalist Company of Presidio de Rio Grande. Just under three years after that, in May 18th, he achieved the rank of captain. On July 3, 1821, Gonzalez left the Spanish army and joined the Mexican independence movement. In December, he's promoted to lieutenant. After the end of the War of Independence, his rise to power reached its pinnacle when he was named governor of Cuya y Tejas. 
1824. One of his first acts was to grant each family from the Native American Shawnee Nation who migrated to Texas a square mile of land on the south bank of the Red River. Gonzalez was replaced as governor on March 15, 1826. Uh, his political career wasn't entirely over, though. He was named secretary of the Comancia of Coahuila Tejas in 1834, and he died in 1857. Rafael Gonzalez's replacement was Victor Blanco, a citizen of Monclova and brother-in-law of Ramon Mosquiz, who became Texas governor a few years later. On September 8, 1823, uh, Blanco was appointed alternate deputy of the provincial deputation of Coahuila. He appointed Samuel May Williams as an agent to select a place in Texas to establish a new colony, but the plan was never completed and that colony never came to fruition. Blanco was appointed governor of Coahuila in Texas on May 30, 1826. Just three months into his governorship, Blanco broke a contract with Colonel Hayden Edwards of the Edwards Colony. This, along with Hayden and his brother's frustration over their unfair treatment and disputes with Mexican citizens, led to the Fredonian Rebellion, which we talked about way back in Season 2. It was, of course, a short-lived revolution. Blanco was quickly put it down. Despite these problems with Anglos, Blanco promoted American settlements in East Texas. His tenure as governor ended on January 27, 1827, but only six months later, on the 4th of July, he was elected the first vice-governor under the Constitution of Cahia y Tejas. In 1833, he was appointed senator in the Mexican Congress and was re-elected in 1835. He came into conflict with Stephen F. Austin when he opposed the separation of Texas from Cahia. In 1841, he fought in a military campaign against indigenous people in northern Mexico as part of the Mexican army, and he later fought in the Mexican-American War. Jose Maria Viesca y Montes was born in Villa de Santa Maria de las Paras in Coahuila. His family was a political one, and his brother, Augustin, would also be governor of Texas under Mexican rule, and his nephew became governor of Coahuila. Both Jose and Augustin joined the Plan de Iguala in 1821, as we said, which declared Mexican independence from Spain. He was extremely active in politics and was part of a delegation to the internal state east during the Constitutional Convention from 1823 to 1824. This led to the famous Constitution of 1824 that the Texans claimed they were fighting for during the revolution. He was a member of the legislature of Cahuilla y Tejas in 1824, and he became governor in 1827 until 1830. In 1833, he became a senator for the state to the federal government. In 1835, he opposed both Santa Ana and Texas independence. That's taking an odd position. Uh, but he found little support. He was elected deputy for the state of Cahuilla at the Constituent Congress, but illness prevented him from attending, and he died the next year. Don Ramon Eka Imosquiz was actually born in Baytown, Texas in 1797. His father was military officer Miguel Francisco Mosquiz, and he was raised alongside Presidio soldiers and settlers of Spanish, Mexican, and Anglo heritage. Ramon's family was Basque, and he spent most of his time in the company of missionary friars and people of Canarian and Basque origins, and developed friendships with the prominent families of San Antonio. On December 16, 1823, he married Josefa Fernandez, and they had two children together. Mosquiz served as postmaster of Monclova at the end of the Spanish-Texas period, but his father was briefly military commander at Nacogdoches and no doubt gave Ramon a hint of the business opportunities available in the area. 
He took a series of business trips to Texas in the early 1820s and settled in San Antonio by 1823. He quickly established a store in town and got involved in local politics. From July 1825 to August 1827, he was secretary to the political chief. He took over the role of political chief in the Department of Texas in the next year, and he served from January 1828 to July of 1834 when he resigned due to health reasons. He actually had a pretty long extent in office. He has lobbied in favor of the Anglo colonists and mediated disputes between them and the national authorities. His support waned after the illegal or extra-legal convention, which was held at San Felipe in October of 1832. Although he wasn't technically elected governor, it was during this time, 1831, although he wasn't technically elected governor, it was during this time, 1830 to 1831, that he acted as governor as part of his duties as political chief while that office was vacant. Mosquise remained involved in public affairs after his retirement, walking a fine line between his federalist leanings and his strong loyalty to Mexico. In 1835, he was elected vice-governor alongside Governor Augustin Viesa, but Viesa was arrested and his election annulled in the summer of 1835. There was a push to make Mosquise governor, but General Martin Perfecto de Caz declared this election void as well. Thanks to his history of loyalty to Mexico, he did not fall out of favor the way other Federalists had, and he was appointed by Caz to assist in the negotiations between the Mexican army and the Texans at the Siege of Bejar. It is unknown if he left with cause when the general retreated, but he was present at the fall of the Alamo and helped identify the bodies of the defenders. He left for Monclova in May 1836, after the end of the revolution, but returned to Texas in the late 1850s to reclaim lands he had abandoned. Wow, well that gets us up pretty much almost to the revolution, doesn't it? Yep. That's pretty amazing. 1836. A, a lot of names that we've talked about before. And yep. have crossed paths with, but uh, it's always fun to see them when they show up. And we went, we went pretty fast. So the office of governor was, generally speaking, an elected position. But when it wasn't filled, then they had what they called a political chief, and it was someone who was appointed to be the administrator of of the territory, because it was part of the state of Cuya, uh, but it was administered sort of secondarily as as a subdivision of the state. Yeah, I thought this was a neat idea. Um, our friend James helped put this one together and, and took a little bit of history trip through just uh, a few of the names and, and interesting aspects of these guys through the years of just how many how many people rotated through the governor's chair uh, while Mexico was independent. Yeah, uh, and there was also some concurrency too. I think there was times when there was a governor uh, and when there was a political chief as well uh, at the same time. Uh, so I think next week we'll be coming back and talking some more about some of those who were officially elected governor, uh, even though they may have served currently at the same time as, the, as some of these political chiefs. And uh, there's a couple of famous names that we will talk about uh, when we get into it. Hey, no spoilers, no spoilers. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I was going to say it's, um, I have to remember, you know, it was, at this time, Texas is pretty much a frontier, so the fluidity of the government and who is actually running things is more or less expected, I think. Not the civilized place that it is today. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. 
And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you love this show, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. If you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.